0: Afternoon, and of course, a very warm welcome to Follow Up Friday or Friday Follow Up, whichever you prefer. Um, of course, it is our podcast brought to you by Equine Devil's Advocate. Now, what on earth is going on with this weather? Breezy, 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 icy, slippy, freezing fog, can't see a yard in front of your face yesterday and today 10 degrees and sunny oh my god everything has turned to mush 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 Discarding layers as we go the wellies are picking up clods of earth left right and center you start walking across the field in a normal sized boot and by the time you get five paces it's like you've got concrete on your feet And they've grown to size 26. Good heavens above. Well, let's face it, it's hardly any wonder we keep chuntering on about the weather. It's just so, so, so bizarre. Now, of course, follow-up Friday is where we get to hear your correspondence. And today we've got some more questions and answers um, off the back of Monday. So... Before we get going on that, I just want to read you some correspondence from somebody that wrote in. Uh, it's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Now, this lady says, I am a listed dressage judge and I also teach. Earlier this week, I had a relatively new client. I am extremely well aware of the confusion that our technical terms. creates for developing riders and can also be a real headache for me. Of course, I follow the scales of training, but not everyone understands the principles or relates to them in the same way. People's minds work very differently. I loved the cups of tea explanation for rein contact and hand position. It was so well explained and simple to execute. My new client was the perfect opportunity to put it into practice. And, wow, what a difference to her and her horse. Talk about epiphanies. It seems to me, being so vested in my sport and training, I have a tendency to try and explain... (laughs) underlined, in a way that is more complex perhaps than needed. From now, I am exploring simple explanations, everyday actions that everyone can relate to, that better explain the relative point I wish to put across. This has been an added, exciting, inspirational addition to my tools for teaching. Many thanks, Equine Devil's advocate. She also goes on to say, I may well be discussing more of the same in the future. Well, thank you very much. We are delighted to be of some benefit to you. And actually, I think that would be something wonderful to talk about, is all those little, oh, phrases and and little helpful tools that we all sort of tend to adopt as we go along the way, particularly with teaching. So yeah, let's look into that another time at some point in the future. Now I did say on Monday that if anybody wanted to explore one of the questions in a little bit more detail, please do get in touch. And that is exactly what somebody has done. It was where we were talking about the sitting light concept. Um, this person says the condensed version of the email I try really hard to ride sitting lighter I am not sure I'm doing it right or if I'm engaging my core enough any tips on how I would know good question it's always good to talk about these things but it's also quite another thing to actually really put them into practice so the answer is yes Now, what I think the first thing to do is to identify your core. Then you explore with it, and then you exercise it. Now, identifying is probably the hardest part. And this is where the mind is so interesting, because what is the core? Is it the thing left behind after you've eaten an apple, that leftover bit that you give to your horse? Or does it conjure up in your mind core principles or values perhaps that you experience at work and in the office? So now you see how tricky and misleading our minds can become when it comes to understanding exactly what words mean within the context in which they're meant. Now, obviously, an apple core or a pineapple core is not nice to eat. It's hard and inedible, largely speaking. That is not good. Why would I want it or need it? The mind disregards it. The next definition is one of core values or principles, which perhaps is something very prevalent at work and a term you hear an awful lot. Again, it bears no relation whatsoever to the physical requirement for riding, yet it is the same word. So, where next can the mind go to try and identify? Well, perhaps core strength. That is something we hear a lot in the riding world. So, okay. But what does strength conjure up in your mind? Uh, A steel framework? Solid? Inanimate? Immovable? Or a horse that drags you about and you can't stop it while you're trying to lead it? Equally, both those thoughts probably depict force, an immovable force, something that's bigger than you, stronger than you, and most certainly a measure of weight. Oh, the wonders of language and the mind and its ability to confuse. Well, it's not surprising, you say, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. So, let's go back to identifying And I think the first thing to do is actually lose the word core in that sentence. I think it would be better to think more along the lines of posture. And let's go back to Monday's idea of using a chair. It has to be a helpful chair. And that does not mean a comfy chair. No, 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 no. You see, that's another issue. Everything we sit on, we want it to be comfy. Doesn't matter if we're at work, I need a comfy chair at my desk. Driving in the car, my chair needs to be comfy. What is not comfortable for us people, out of the window, it goes in favour of something that is comfy. Now, the same tends to apply. With our saddles. We like them to be comfy. So, let's start with a very straightforward, upright, no frills, not comfy chair. The simplest chair that you can find, because what it will give you is the ability to find comfort in your posture. So when you find your no-frills chair, particularly if it's got a flat base, sit on it. Put your feet flat on the floor. Bend your knees. Ideally, your seat bones need to be pointing straight down. And it's good if you can feel them in the contact with the seat of the chair. The next step is sit up straight. Take a slow big breath in and as you do try and feel the muscles the muscles below your lungs the muscles that create that balloon effect as your lungs expand and feel like they're rising up it's your diaphragm it's your lower abdominal muscles around your belly button it's your inner rib muscles, both sides. It's your back, both sides, upper and lower part of your back. Now, when you can do that, find them, identify them, even just a little bit, that first indication of that feel, slowly, and I mean slowly, allow the breath To expel. Don't breathe out, just let the breath go. Whilst you're doing that keep the same feel of support in those collective midriff muscles. Then when you're just about at the end of that breath, contract those muscles just a little bit, don't kill yourself or squeeze them too much, just contract them slightly a so that you can feel them a little bit more and b so that you can just push the out breath a tiny bit further. It might take a little bit of experimenting and a little bit of playing with but that is your start point When you get your start point, then take another slow breath in without changing the feel of those inner core muscles. You see, core in riding is inner muscle stability for your posture first. It's not a fixed feel, it's a flowing feel. All those muscle groups need to work together. Diaphragm, lower stomach, inner ribs, either side of the back, upper and lower. Working together, they all create stability and a stability that allows us to move within the movement of the horse. So there is your key to identify. Now, the next step to explore it is getting to know it, getting to know where it feels good, how much more of it you can feel. Can you hold it still? And stable as you breathe without tension and of course the next thing is when you can do that try moving some part of you either your arm or straighten your leg or turn your head something independently without changing that core feel you might find this a little tricky Because that second movement is very likely to take our attention from the core. We tend to put our attention on it, oh, I must move my arm. Straight away the mind thinks, oh, on the arm. And immediately we forget about the core and we let it go. So that bit in particular, yes. It takes work and it takes practice not to allow ourselves to forget that core feeling, those muscles, whilst moving another part of ourselves. So, even there, on your chair, try and find the point at which, or even when you're close to disregarding your core for favor of another movement. It will help you enormously. When you can do that, even to some degree, the next step would be to exercise your core. Try and engage with that feel before any other subsequent movement you make, but not even to do with riding, even if it's something that's as simple as, oh, I don't know, reaching across your desk for something, bending down to pick something up, passing something to someone. Try and get into the habit of feeling those core muscles first before you do it. That way, it does actually start to become second nature it will take practice but as with most things the more you practice the easier it becomes now the second part of your question about engaging your core again we're going back to the semantics of the words because engaging sort of donates a suddenness like a oh like a turbocharger that should just kick in, like now, press that button, boom there we go, push nitrous, da da But that creates tension. So that's exactly what you don't want, because the tension will not allow you to move within the movement. No, your core should be there all the time perhaps a little bit less on occasions, perhaps a little bit more on occasions, but always as a constant. Now lots of people advocate Pilates and find it very conducive and really, really helpful to identify with those inner muscles and how they work together for stability yoga in fact is another one that people use a lot but I think they're both better if they're actually centered around the principle of riding so start with the cheap and cheerful way start with your no frills chair and work from there the upshot of doing this means that you are now responsible for your own weight and your own balance, and therefore, consequently, sitting immediately lighter. Now, I know that's a lot to take in, but have a think about it, give it a go, and it will make sense. And Thank you for choosing to put the idea forward to explore it more. Very very helpful we've got another little uh more of a little mini question somebody asked what are the purpose of cross ties and the benefits over a single tie-up ring well the whole thing about tying your horse up essentially means stay wait there be there do not move i will come back to you so when you tie your horse up with a single ring it can fiddle about and what's really interesting is that if you have a ring that's tied for instance to a flat blank surface like like a wall a stable wall or an outside wall you will notice invariably the horse will stand to one side it will face alongside of that flat surface mainly because they don't like staring at blank walls well, who does? So because of that they can stand still obviously facing one way or the other but we tend to move them from side to side. One side we can get to, the other side we can't access unless they move around and face the other way. So the benefit of cross ties over that is less fiddling about because they are secured from both sides and there is an equal volume of room, primarily, on both sides. And the other benefit for the horse is that actually it's facing forward with a view and no constriction of a, a, a blocked space in front of its face. So, they are very popular on the continent. Um, over here, more often than not, single ring with a good old bit of bala twine, And it's not necessarily a problem, but as I say, you will notice that a horse will always have a tendency to stand sidey ways on. Now we've got another, it's a brief question, but it's a broad spectrum answer. It could actually be discussed in greater detail as a specialist topic question, if you wish. But for the moment, I'm going to be as concise as i can be given the question so the question is any thoughts on calming cookies the answer yes actually lots um but i'm not going to specifically talk about cookies i'm going to talk about many things under the umbrella of karmas basically what I'm going to talk about is ingredients, because I think that is the most vital thing to look at now the the concept of karmas for horses has been around, oh my goodness, don't even know for how long, in so many different various forms, they pop up, they go, they come in syringes, they come in powders, they come in liquids, they come in you name it, um, as well as cookies. In fact, actually thinking about it, some years ago there were Chinese herbs available in a cookie form. They were for various conditions, including one as a karma. And they were quite popular for a while, and then they seemed to disappear. Then, of course, there are, oh, don't even know how many other herbal supplements and natural ingredients sold under the same umbrella uh, of karmas I think it is a very tricky topic because it could be and can be in some situations a helpful means to an end or it could be the slippery slope of a quick fix that's not ever actually about the problem. The problem of stress, insecurity or fear with horses is actually a symptom of something. It's a representation, an expression of. If we end up on the slippery slope, reaching for something quickly from the shelf We're only ever really just tackling symptoms. We're not actually addressing or exploring the underlying issue. Okay. Now, in fairness, if, which I'm sure you have looked at our website, you will see that one of our sponsors is Ron Fields Nutrition. And yes, they too have in their range a calming product. It's called Silent Four. These products are made from Ayurvedic herbs. And I will say I have offered this product to a horse who even on smelling it clamped his mouth around the bottle and tried to guzzle it like it was oh a beer at a barbecue on a Friday night. So clearly there was something in it that he wanted or needed. This is a product that I do know I know about the quality and I have recommended it. I also know that the amount that one needs to use is relatively small and it's also suitable for people as well as other animals. Now that gives me confidence. It gives me confidence and peace of mind because it means that I'm not destabilizing or interfering with the rest of the diet and nor am I using it as a quick fix crutch just to create an instant stability for the horse. What I can do with it is it allows me to create a constant state of relaxation so then I can actually identify with the real problem and work on that. I also think that the the realm of karmas really does require quite a bit of honesty on our part because an awful lot of the time, one would have to say, are we just using them because it's that, ooh, that irksome, frustrating little behavior that actually interferes with our results? It's that thing that probably... Only happens in a certain situation or in competition. And it's that annoyance that lends us to reaching for something to fix it, make it go away. It comes from our own frustration of the symptom rather than actually tackling the cause. Bit of honesty. And soul-searching required there. Now equally no one likes to see a distressed horse in a stressful situation and of course if one's a decent human being the first port of call would be to want to calm it, to help it. Anything that you reach for in that situation that works quickly would make me want to seriously investigate the ingredients what and how do they work on the horse internally now that may not be as easy for us the consumer as we think because we are not always privy to all the information an example of this actually would be Good old magnesium. Yep, absolutely. We know it works. It works really, really well on a magnesium deficient horse. But, with one T, in order to metabolize the magnesium properly and retain normal healthy levels, one also has to be aware of the calcium levels. They need to work in a symbiotic relationship they need to be in a correct balance and also you have to consider the potassium at the same time so when you're reaching for your karma the issue may actually be way more complex than just that irksome individual behavior perhaps it's the whole diet that needs to be assessed and then of course the complete flip side the old adage has got to be the question is it the person that would benefit from the karma or is it really the horse that needs the karma It's a very interesting broad-spectrum topic but the quick-fix method no is not for me. And I really urge you to look and explore ingredients and to know exactly how they are meant to work. So, to round up for today, thank you everybody for your correspondence. And uh, I will just say this, not that we expect you all to be sitting on flat wooden chairs, breathing slowly and exhaling, sitting upright with your elbows bent, holding two cups of tea and reading propped-up scientific literature on the metabolism of horses all weekend. But hopefully, just these small insights have been of some benefit to you in continuing and supporting you in your horsey journey. And speaking of continuing, we will be back with you again this coming Monday for our more regular slot, a new chapter, and more stories in my journey. So, please do join us. And, of course, you're always welcome to leave your correspondence at www.equinedevilsadvocate.com, Podbean, Facebook, Twitter, and The Misbehaving YouTube. So until then, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, please do take care and we will of course speak very soon.